Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 91 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today outlines how to audit and improve your internal investigation program. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and rate the podcast to help let other compliance professionals uh, find the podcast. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, conducts internal investigations and helps companies improve their internal investigation programs. We have extensive experience in this area, conducted sensitive internal investigations for companies that are independent, fair, and thorough, and tailored to the relevant facts and allegations. We also assist companies by conducting internal investigation program audits as outlined in this podcast. We conduct internal investigation workshops and training sessions. We help draft internal investigation procedures and design of templates and forms for use in an internal investigation program. And we conduct audits, as I mentioned, as outlined in this podcast. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, thanks again for uh, joining me in the compliance idea marketplace. There's definitely been uh, an increased focus recently on the importance of maintaining uh, an organization's speak-up culture, and in do and in, with that focus, uh, there's been a greater uh, Im- importance, I think, stressed on internal investigation programs. From a practical standpoint, you got to look at it this way. If a company has a defective program for encouraging reporting and conducting timely and efficient investigations, the company is likely to suffer from some serious breakdowns in conduct and potential legal exposure. Eventually, a company's deficiencies in this area will catch up with it, and the company will suffer real harm. As a result, car, uh, Companies are starting to understand that an effective uh, internal investigation program is a critical function to promote a speak-up culture. You can't have a speak-up culture without an effective uh, internal investigation program. A company that has a dysfunctional internal investigation program is going to find it difficult to prevent and detect misconduct. By contrast, a company that maintains an effective internal investigation program by adhering to its standard operating procedures, treating whistleblowers with respect, and preventing any hint of retaliation, meeting out consistent discipline, integrating investigation findings into compliance program enhancements, and reporting on a transparent basis to employees about the performance of its investigation and discipline program. That's more than a mouthful mouthful there. We'll advance the company's culture and maximize potential reporting of code of conduct and legal violations. To this end, companies have to commit to a multi-step review and improvement process for its internal investigation program. And this is an exercise that is limited uh, to reviewing the operation of the internal investigation program from the receipt of a reported concern to the conclusion of the investigation and handling of the results. Everyone has a list of best practices in this area and a perspective on investigations. To address this issues, companies have to turn a skeptical and internal eye to review its internal investigation program and include a specific 
and focused audit of its investigations and the manner in which they're handled. Such a review is important to ensure that a company's uh, internal investigation program operates properly. Uh, my experience in this area has confirmed that a company be, will always be surprised by what it finds. Most companies have difficulty ensuring proper and consistent internal investigations are conduct conducted. And there are a number of variables that can influence this review, and it is important to use as many objective measures as possible. So a comprehensive audit should be conducted every three years. During the interim period, a proactive sampling audit of internal investigations should be conducted to ensure that performance is consistent, and hopefully if there's training and objectives to improve uh, the program as well. A commitment to review, audit, and enhance an internal investigation program is a valuable initiative, and I realize there are competing priorities all the time, but it's important to publicize such an audit and inquiry is taking place, announce the results in general terms, and then commit to remediation and improvements to the internal investigation program. And some companies may resist such a review. That it is, that's a serious mistake, in my view. If a company objects to such a review, the company is confirming its failure to audit and remediate its program, and it reflects, really, its fear of facing potential challenges in this area. Such resistance uh, can be viewed pretty cynically by interested stakeholders and ultimately by company employees. So today I want to try to outline how to review and audit your internal investigation program to develop meaningful metrics, to raise the proper issues, and ultimately to improve your critical in internal investigation uh, function as part of your overall commitment to a speak-up culture. So how do we audit an internal investigation program? So as an initial step, you need to get a detailed understanding of how your program is supposed to operate in accordance with you know, procedures and policies that you have. In crafting the audit, the first step is to define the relevant universe of investigations. The audit scope depends on the number of investigations to be reviewed uh, and the years to be reviewed. Assuming that your audit is limited to the prior two years, the number of investigations should be determined by category. In most cases, a number of investigations will require a review of a sample of investigations conducted by, one, officer investigators at headquarters like region or local staff, two, type, human resources, uh, conflict of interests, theft, bribery, three, uh, geographic location. Uh, the audit scope should seek to ensure that a representative sample from as many locations and as many types are conducted so that meaningful findings can be made. You can't review every investigation as part of the audit, but you should uh, take a pretty healthy sample uh, of this. This is, this is different from the proactive auditing that I mentioned before, which is sort of uh, sampling on a year-by-year -year basis as opposed to a more comprehensive audit every three years, which has a larger audit scope. So if a sample, for example, is from one location is small, such an audit may not be that helpful since the review may be too small. 
So the audit scope should also ensure that a broad cross-section of investigation uh, sources is examined, including hotline reports, identified and anonymous, walk-ins, meaning human resources, compliance, any other place, government investigations or proactive requests. Assuming you've defined your audit scope to address all of the significant aspects of the internal investigation program, you then need to define the standard operating procedures or controls that need to be evaluated. Uh, Once these are defined, a review of an investigation file and documents will have to be conducted. The audit review for each file, and when I refer to a file, it means an investigation, should reflect evaluation of the following controls and factors, assuming a reasonable number of best practice standard operating procedures are already uh, required as part of the um, of your uh, internal investigation program. So let's start with basic information. For each case, the audit should collect basic information uh, selected under the scoping procedure. These basic facts should include, obviously, one, source of investigation, two, location of investigation, business unit, country, and office, three, investigation offenses, code, and legal, four, privilege versus non-privileged, five, notifications, you know, to the complainant, subject, six, assignment of the investigation, who assigned it, seven, who was the lead investigator, eight, absence of a conflict of interest in the uh, investigation, meaning the investigator uh, has no uh, uh, relationship or was not part of, let's say, the same office that uh, he or she did the investigation in. Nine, date of the investigation initiation, when it started. Ten, when it closed, date of investigation closing. Eleven, final action. And twelve, number of days between opening to closing. The basic audit review should include the identification of the individuals involved, including the complainant and the individuals investigated, or you can call them subjects of the investigation, The initial summary should include the issues investigated, the results of the investigation substantiated versus unsubstantiated, the disciplinary action, if any, and remediation steps to the compliance program, meaning lessons learned. So now the second part, the second sort of uh, category is investigation, you know, an investigation review. After collecting the basic information for each of the audited cases, the review should focus on the conduct of the investigation itself. As a threshold matter, the audit should almost exclusively depend on a documented case file. Hopefully you don't have to go and interview the investigator uh, to find out what happened. To the extent items are not documented, this would be an important audit finding to record. So with regard to a specific investigation, and assuming these items are required under the standard operating procedures and based on templates available for use in each investigation, the following items should be reviewed. One, the initial assessment. Two, investigation plan. Was there an investigation plan including proper scoping, evidence collection and review, documents and other sources, and witness interviews? Three, elements of the offense analysis. Four, document hold and preservation steps. Five, internal-external assistance. 
that could be either by an outside investigator or, you know, an expert witness or financial person or technical person, IT person. Six, notifications and contacts with the complainant. Seven, subjects of the investigation. Eight, proper confidentiality arrangements to the extent possible. We always try to ensure a confidential investigation. Nine, document review. Ten, uh, witness interviews that were properly conducted, scoped, and memorialized. And eleven, documented upjohn warnings when appropriate and including upjohn forms, for example, or proof that the upjohn warnings were given and reviewed. So this is in the conduct of the investigation. These are the factors that we look at. We're not up to the point of report review, which is going to be the next. So evaluation of these items may involve certain judgment calls as to the proper scope, the substance, the the type, and uh, documents that were reviewed. Some of the items are like binary choices between yes or no, and those are good data points. And I recognize that the judgment uh, calls may suggest a lack of an objective analysis. So such a review should not be used as a sort of fly-specking review, but more forgiving to, in the discretionary sense, to make sure that there is an explanation for any decision and barring some major factor that was ignored, such discretion should be counted as a positive result, meaning don't become hyper-technical in the review here of, for example, the witness interviews, were they proper or were the proper persons or were the appropriate number of persons interviewed? Um, You may have to uh, also read more about the scope uh, of the investigation to understand um, you know, was this the proper, properly conducted investigation? You'll be surprised, I think, when you, uh, it, even though this sounds like there's a lot of discretion, it's, uh, there's usually a pretty significant um, variation if in your program in terms of the scope. Uh, and it's pretty easy to tell pretty soon whether or not a, an investigation was properly scoped or not. So you got to be careful in this uh, area, and um, uh, don't be afraid to exercise. You know, to question the, the discretion that was exercised, but make sure it's on an important point. The next issue we look at then is the report review. So a separate portion of the review should be focused on um, looking at the written investigation and analyzing the written investigative report for key elements of an investigation. If a document report is not included in the file, that would be a clear deficiency. As to the substance of the report, it should include an outline of the allegations, the investigative steps that were taken, chronology of events, the factual analysis, review of documents and witness statements, uh, specified credibility determinations, and explanation of the ultimate findings. Um, so the report should be should be pretty, you know, should include at least these elements and be written in a fulsome way, uh, so that, for example, such a review in an audit is uh, is possible. Now the last step 
uh, in the audit should focus on committee review. And here I'm uh, assuming that the company has appointed an independent committee or some committee of some sort to review the investigations and impose consistent discipline. This review process should be documented as well and therefore subject to review. The independent committee review factors should include, you know, whether one, whether the investigation was approved, rejected, or referred back for additional investigation. If the independent committee required further investigation and sent the investigation back to address identified issues or deficiencies, this should obviously be captured and and recorded. Two, uh, analysis by the committee. Three, reasons for discipline or resolution and explanation. Four, consistency analysis and explanation. Five, root cause analysis, contributing factors. Six, communication of decision to the complainant and the subjects uh, or the you know, potential violator. Seven, days for review and resolution by the committee from the time the committee uh, uh, got received the investigation report and uh, the time that it made its resolution, and eight, remediation and confirmation of changes implemented. The audit results for each of the investigation phases can be tracked, categorized, and analyzed for trends and observations. Once conducted, the audit framework can be used and modified if needed to develop trends over time and the ability to document improvements and modifications to a company's ethics and compliance program. Okay, so let's take a step back now. And so the audit program, that basically are the the steps of the audit program. The audit program... uh, will give you ultimately valuable insights as to your internal investigation program and your overall ethics and compliance program as well. It's a critical part of ensuring that a company's speak-up culture is adequately supported and promoted by an efficient and reliable internal investigation function. A company learns a lot about its overall operations from its employee complaints and concerns, not just from a hotline, but from walk-ins and other types of compliance uh, concerns that are received. To be sure, the investigation function uh, provides a critical measure of what kind of concerns are being raised, how reliable the concerns are, and the nature of these concerns as part of the overall cultural fabric of the company. From a narrow perspective, the internal investigation audit provides important insights on adherence to internal investigation requirements. In response, the deviations uh, or uh, weaknesses that are identified may reflect the changes are needed in your procedures. However, it's more likely that the weaknesses in the program will require improvements in investigator quality investigators who are not following uh, established protocols. Sometimes this may reflect that it may be difficult to comply with specific requirements, but more likely internal investigation audits will reveal weaknesses in the quality and ability of your investigators. So to respond, you may have to, it may require assignment of additional investigators and staff, hiring of higher qualified investigators, and or additional training of investigative staff. An internal investigation program that is defective is typically a result of the three listed factors above. 
Part of the problem may occur when an internal investigation program enlists the support of part-time investigators who have other responsibilities and conduct investigations uh, because of their geographic locations uh, and pitch in sort of as part of their overall duties. Uh, in these circumstances, what I've found is, is it's very difficult to maintain quality and consistency when you do not have a full-time dedicated investigation staff. An investigation training program is a great idea. However, it is really hard to make such training effective. Often these training programs are conducted for a few days, and some may include actual exercises and training. Even if crafted in the most effective way, it's hard to imagine that the participants leave the training session with real effective investigative capabilities. Frankly, an an effective investigator is one who is a full-time professional with experience in conducting a large number of investigations. Companies that rely on part-time investigators or pull in people to help out who have other responsibilities are likely to uh, experience difficulties and their performance is usually uneven. Aside from, though, insights on the internal investigation program, the audit of the uh, the audit results will provide information relevant to your company's culture, the operations of your ethics and compliance program, and overall employee morale. An audit, for example, can reveal important trends within the company. For example, the audit may show that a specific actor or supervisor in a specific Uh, business unit has been mistreating employees or a specific business unit has been the victim of several, let's say, fraud schemes. The audit results can confirm identified problems in the business, some of which can require remediation. So if a business unit has been the victim of several financial scandals surrounding theft or misuse of funds, the business may identify weaknesses then in the unit's financial controls authorization levels, or existence of segregation of duty conflicts. Sometimes the audit reveals the the need for changes in specific policies or procedures, and the root cause analysis of numerous investigations may underscore an outstanding deficiency in existing policies and procedures that should be fixed. In the end, the investigation audit program, if conducted annually, can provide trend analysis and even confirm the success of remediation efforts. So the value of an investigation audit program is important to recognize and should be implemented uh, as part of an overall testing and audit program. Again, uh, every three years for a comprehensive audit with proactive audits uh, sampling uh, for two years in between, uh, is a good way to go. But you need a baseline full uh, audit with a broad audit scope to really get that foundation uh, from which you can then work uh, from after that. Well, that's it for uh, today, but we'll get back to you on internal investigation ideas because it's obviously an important function as part of a speak-up culture. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. 
We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.thepucklaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.